Chapter 30 of Haworths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire Reddick. Haworths by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter 30 Mrs. Haworth and Granny Dixon. About this time, a change appeared in little Mrs. Haworth. Sometimes when they sat together, Haworth found himself looking up suddenly, and feeling that her eyes were fixed upon him, and at such times she invariably met his glance with a timid, startled expression, and released herself from it as soon as she had the power. She had never been so tender and lavish with her innocent caresses, but there was continuously a tremulous watchfulness in her manner, which was almost suggestive of fear. It was not fear of him, however. She clung to him with all the strength of her love. At night when he returned home, however late, he was sure of finding her waiting patiently for him, and in the morning when he left the house he was never so early that she was not at his service. The man began to quail before her, and grow restless in secret and be haunted, when he awakened in the night, by his remembrance of her. "'She's on the lookout for something,' he said to himself fearfully. "'What have they been saying to her?' On her part, when she sat alone, she used to try and think the matter out, and set it straight, and account for it. "'It's the Strax,' she said, "'as has set them again him, and made her mad and forgetful of all he's done. They'd never have spoke so if they'd been themselves.' She could scarcely have told what she had heard, or how the first blow had struck home. She only knew that here and there she had heard at first a rough jeer, and then a terrible outspoken story, which, in spite of her disbelief, filled her with dread. The man who first flung the ill-favoured story at her stopped halfway through it, the words dying on his lips at the sight of her face. It happened in one of her pensioners' cottages, and she rose from her chair trembling. "'I didn't think,' she said with unconscious pathos, "'as the world could be so ignorant and wicked.' But as the ill-feeling became more violent, she met with the same story again and again, and often with new and worse versions, in forms she could not combat. She began to be haunted by vague memories of things she had not comprehended. A sense of pain followed her. She was afraid at times to go to the cottages, lest she should be confronted with something which would overwhelm her. Then she began to search her son's face with a sense of finding some strangeness in it. She watched him wistfully when he had so far forgotten her presence as to be almost unaware of it. One night, having thrown himself upon a sofa and fallen into a weary sleep, he suddenly started up from it to find her standing close by him, looking down, her face pale, her locked fingers moving nervously. "'What is it?' he exclaimed. "'What ails you?' He was startled by her falling upon her knees at his side, crying, and laying her shaking head upon his shoulder. "'You was having a bad dream, my dear,' she said. "'A bad dream I scarcely knowed your face, Jem, it was so altered.' He sank back upon his cushions and stared at her. He knew he had been having no bad dream. His dreams were not half so evil and bitter when he slept, as they were in these days when he wakened. "'You always had such a good face, Jem,' she said, "'and such a kind one, when you was a boy.' He stopped her almost sullenly. "'I'm not a boy now,' he said. "'That's put away and done with. 
"'No,' she answered. "'That's true, my dear. "'But but you've lived an innocent life, "'and, and never done no wrong, "'no more than you did when you was a one. "'And your face was so altered.' "'Her voice died away into silence, "'which somehow neither of them could break. "'It was Granny Dixon who revealed the truth "'in its barest form. "'Perhaps no man nor woman in Broxton "'knew more of it than this respectable ancient matron.' Haworth and his iniquities had been the spice of her later life. The fact that his name was being mentioned in a conversation never escaped her. She discovered it as if by magic, and invariably commanded that the incident under discussion be repeated at the top of the reciter's voice for her benefit, occasionally somewhat to the confusion of the honest matron in question. How it had happened that she had not betrayed all to Mrs. Haworth at once was a mystery to remain unsolved. During the little woman's visits to the cottage, Mrs. Briarly existed in a chronic condition of fear and trembling. "'She'll be out with it some of these days, mark me,' she would quaver to Janie. "'And the Lord knows I'd not be there for not when she does.' But she did not do it at first. Mrs. Briarly had a secret conviction that the fact that she did not do so was due entirely to iniquity. She had seen her sit peering from under her brows at their guest as the simple creature poured forth her loving praise of her son, and at such times it was always Mrs. Briarly's province to repeat the conversation for her benefit. "'Eh?' Mrs. Dixon would comment with an evil smile. "'That's him. That's Harworth. He's a nice chap, is Harworth. I know him.' Mrs. Harworth learned in time to fear her and to speak timidly in her presence, rarely referring to the subject of her boy's benefactions. "'Only as it wouldn't be natural,' she said once to Mrs. Briarly. "'I should think she was set again him.' "'I bless us,' was Mrs. Briarly's answer. "'You need not mind her, she's set again everybody. She's the nightest old piece in Christendom.' A few days after Haworth had awakened to find his mother standing near him, Mrs. Haworth paid a visit to the Briarleys. She took with her a basket, which the poor of Broxton had long since learned to know. In this case it contained stockings for the little Briarleys, and a dress, or so, for the baby. When she had bestowed her gifts and seated herself, she turned to Granny Dixon with some tremor of manner. "'I hope you're well, ma'am,' she said. Granny Dixon made no reply. She sat bent over in her chair, regarding her for a few seconds with unblinking gaze. Then she slowly pointed with her thin, crooked finger to the little presents. "'E sent him, did he?' she trumpeted forth. "'Haworth?' Mrs. Haworth quailed before her. "'Yes, ma'am,' she answered. "'At least ways.' Granny Dixon stopped her. "'He did not the sort,' she cried. Thou art lying. The little woman made an effort to rise, turned pale, and sat down again. Ma'am, she began. Granny Dixon's eyes sparkled. Thou art lying, she repeated. He's the worst chap in England, and old Broxton knows it. Her victim uttered a low cry of pain. Mrs. Briarly had left the room, and there was no one to help her. All the hints and jeers she had heard rushed back to her but she struggled to stand up against them. "'It ain't true,' she said. "'It ain't true.' Granny Dixon was just beginning to enjoy herself. 
A difference of opinion with Mrs. Briarly, which had occurred a short time before, had prepared her for the occasion. She knew that nothing would so much demoralize her relative and hostess as this iniquitous outbreak. They'd been warning me to keep quiet and not tell thee, she answered. But I told them I'd tell thee when I were in the humor, and I'm in the humor now. Will French were a devil, but he's a bigger one yet. He kept thee away because he did not want thee to know. He set out the place by the ears. A decent woman would not cross his doorstep, nor a decent man, for all his brass afore the come. The lot as he used to have down from London and Manchester were a shame to the town. I've seen em, women in paint and feathers and men as decent lasses I'd from. A good and worry. Aye, he were a good un for sure. She sat and chuckled a moment, thinking of Sararon's coming terror and confusion. She had no objection to Haworth's moral lapses herself, but she meant to make the most of them while she was at it. She saw nothing of the anguish in the face from which all the fresh, almost girlish color had faded. "'And you did not know as they were not gentlefolk,' she proclaimed again. "'Thou thought they were ladies and gentlemen when thou come on em the first night thou set foot in the house. A nice batch of ladies they were, and he passed em off to thee. He was sharp enough for that, trust him. Ladies, bless us. I heard tell on it, and so did old Broxton.' The wounded creature gathered all her strength to rise from her chair. She stood pressing her hands against her heart, swaying and deadly pale. "'He has been a good son to me,' she said. "'A good son, and I can't believe it. You wouldn't yourself if if you were his mother and knew him as I do.' She made her way to the door just as Mrs. Briarly came in. One glance told that excellent matron that the long-dreaded calamity had arrived. "'What's she been up to?' she demanded. "'Lord have mercy, what's she been up to now?' "'She's been telling me,' faltered the departing guest, "'that my son's a bad man, and a shame to me. "'Let me go, ma'am, for I've never heard talk like this before, "'and it's made me a bit weak and queer.' "'And she slipped past and was gone. "'Mrs. Briarly's patience deserted her. "'A full sense of what Granny Dixon's worst might be burst in upon her, a remembrance of her own manifold wrongs and humiliations added itself to this sense. For the moment, discretion ceased to appear the better part of valor. "'What has thou been saying?' she cried. "'What has thou been saying? Out with it!' "'I've been telling her what thou were afeard to tell her,' chuckled Mrs. Dixon with exultation. "'I told thee I would, and I've done it!' Mrs. Briarly made no more ado. She set the baby down upon an adjacent chair with a resonant sound, and then fell upon the miserable old woman, and seizing her by the shoulders, shook her until her cap flew off, and danced upon her back, and her mouth opened and shut as if worked by a spring. "'Thy brazen, hard-headed bedsome thou!' she cried as she shook. "'Thou ill-ferret not!' That never did no good in thy days, and cannot bear as no one else should. I do not care if I never see thy brass as long as I live. If thou were none instead of ninety-five, I'd give thee a hide in thou brazen, hard-headed old piece. Her strength failed her, 
and she loosened her hold and sat down and wept aloud behind the baby, and Mrs. Dixon fell back in her chair, an unpleasant heap, without breath to speak a word, or strength to do anything but clutch wildly at her cap, and so remain shrunken and staring. End of chapter 30